Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to talk to you. Let's read first. Uh, 17, maybe a little bit of 18 in these, Matthew 1. The book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judah, and Judah his brethren. And Judah begat Phares, and Phares Zerah of Tamar, and Phares begat Eshram, and Eshram begat Aram. And Aram begat Amminadab, and Amminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse had David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begat Reboam, and Reboam begat Abai, and Abai begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jotham, and Jotham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekiah. And Ezekiah begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jehonas, uh, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jehonas begat Shatil, and Shatil begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abab, and Abab begat Elikim, and Elikim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Elab. Elab begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Methan, and Methan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the mother or the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations, and from David till the carrying away into Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are fourteen generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. I don't, I don't know if you're like I am. Uh, it's sad to say, but, but sometimes when I'm reading the begats and the begottens and, and all these things, I think, my word, why are they in there like that? <laughs> uh, you know, and it's kind of like the, it's like the you, you're reading in the Old Testament where they're bringing the gifts to, for, the, for the temple or for the, actually for the sanctuary in the wilderness. And, and they, every one of them brings a bowl that weighs the same amount, one of silver, one of gold, and they bring all these things. I'm just saying, why don't you just say everybody brought the same thing? But they go through this. And I'm reminded of uh, the scriptures in, uh, in 2 Timothy that says this. 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, under all good works. And so I read that and I'm reminded that even the begats and the begottens and the, and the bowls and everything are significant. And sometimes it's in, it's in these passages that I'm just thinking, man, I'm just going to kind of say watermelon, 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 and go down there and skip that thing. <laughs> and and it's, it's more difficult because her name's not, you know, it's not Gerald and Timothy and Frank and, and Alvin. It, you know, they've got these... Jehoshaphats and I, you know, all these things, they don't even sound right. They're not from here. <laughs> but sometimes it's in, it's in these obscure passages that, that I want to run over or we want to ignore. God has, has, put, has placed some, some treasures, some nuggets uh, that are awesome when we dig them out. Now, I'm reminded about treasures one day this week. Uh, Zane, four years old, and, and Zane's a collector of things. 
he's a collector of everything. I should say it that way. So we've got these little cubby holes at the house that Barbie puts, uh, you know, we put Christmas stuff in for kids. And the kids kind of, that becomes their place where they can put stuff when they're at the house. And so Zane's was overrunning. It was running out. So Barbie, one day she got, she, she looked, there's a bowl sitting on the counter and she said, you know what that is? I said, I have no idea. She said, that's all Zane's treasures. And there, there was coins and there was a few dollar bills and there was some candy and there was balls, candy at high feet. And all, I mean, it's just everything. So we were eating lunch one day and I said to Zane, I said, Zane, Meemaw has got some treasures at the house. And so he's just down out of his chair and he's on the other side of the table where Barbie is. And he said, they looked up at her. She said, he said, Meemaw, treasures. And she said, it's all your stuff out of your box. Well, he just turned around. He came back over there to me. He said, Dad, that ain't treasure. He said, don't ever do that to me again. <laughs> just like this. Don't, don't ever do that to me again. That ain't treasures. That's my stuff. Well, sometimes we think it's just our stuff. It's just God's stuff. He's got stuck in here. But I'll tell you, there's some treasures in this. And this morning, there is, there is some treasures in this as we look at this genealogy of, of, of Jesus that Matthew penned. And I want to invite you to go with me and look at that this morning because I want to talk to you about God was the original promise keeper. All right, he was. How many, how many guys we got in here that you remember promise keepers? How many of y'all ever got to attend a promise keeper rally? Stick your hands up. Yeah, neat, neat thing. I really believe it was a movement of God, Coach McCarthy and some of those men that did that. And I believe that a lot of great things for the kingdom was a result of their obedience. And that continues to bear fruit in the promise keeper movement. But God was the original promise keeper and he always keeps his promises. And one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is how Christmas is about God keeping his promise to man. Let's, uh, let's, let's just kind of walk through this. This genealogy, uh, and, and he starts with this. Uh, the writer of, of, of Matthew, or Matthew writing his gospel, begins with this genealogy. But we've got to remember how, how significant family history was to the, to the Jews. The writer of Matthew was Jewish, and his primary, his primary target as he penned this gospel was to the Jewish reader, or to the Jewish listener. And, and they understood and they knew how critical it was to know where you came from, to know who you descended from. Matter of fact, if you remember with me back, you remember when the children of Israel were carried away into Babylon. Uh, and then when the time came that God wanted to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, how he used Ezra and Nehemiah to do that. Well, part of, some of the scriptures there in Ezra Chapter 2, especially verse 59 and 62, remind us of how significant your genealogy or your family lineage or family tree was. And these, uh, some of them at return, were they which went up from Telema, Telema, Cherub, and Adam, and Emir, but they could not show their father's house and their seed, whether they were of Israel. They had lost their family tree. They didn't know who their ancestors were. Look at verse 62. And these sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they couldn't find them. Now, now look at this. And because they couldn't find their genealogy, because they couldn't verify their family tree and their history, therefore, were they as polluted, put from the priesthood. 
They weren't allowed. They lost the privilege of serving. They weren't allowed to carry out their duties and responsibilities because they could not prove who were they, they were descended from. And the writer of the Gospel of Matthew wants to be sure that every Jewish reader or every Jewish person who heard his, this gospel understood that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah that had been promised by God to the nation of Israel for their redemption. And he wanted them to be absolutely sure that they understood that. And he, he, he amazingly, he, he presents that in an amazing way here, right off the bat, the very first words off the pen are confirming that. Verse one, look at this. In the book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now go with me back to Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, we're gonna see that God had, God had promised, he had led Abraham out of the land of Ur. He had led him into a land that he promised him. Abraham was like you and I in that he, he believed but boy, sometimes that faith got a little bit strained. He'd try to help God out and he'd get in a mess with it. But he believed, but God had promised him he would make him a great nation. He'd give him the kids and grandkids and a bunch of them. And we know the story of how, even in, in, finally as an old man, an old woman, Abraham and Sarah had the son of promise. And then after the son of promise was born, God says, I want you to take him now and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham, Hebrews tells us, by faith obeyed God. All right, we're picking up the story now there after, after Abraham has been willing to, to sacrifice his son and God stays his hand. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time saying, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, don't miss this. In Genesis, because of his obedience, God had promised Abraham not only descendants, but he had promised him that through his descendants, he would send the deliverer, the, the Messiah, the promised one, would be from the lineage of Abraham. God promised it, and Matthew wants us to be sure that we understand that this promise was made, and God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. Now, look with me, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 11. To the prophet Isaiah, God would speak these words. He says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a, and a branch. See the word branch? And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Capital B, significant. Why is that significant? Because it's referring to Jesus. Exactly. The branch. And there, a branch... Back to me. Point one. I messed them up. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Out of, this is Jesse, the descendants of Jesse. Okay. Next one. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The writer of Acts, years later in Acts chapter 13, looking at this promise of a descendant of Jesse, through Jesse 
God would send the Messiah, not only through Jesse, but through David. He would say this, the writer of Acts. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed, of David's seed, hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus Christ. God has made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham. Hundreds of years before Matthew would ever, ever pen this, God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham, through your seed, through your descendants, I'm going to bring the deliverer, the Messiah. God had made a promise to David. Hundreds of years before Matthew ever wrote these words down. And he said, David, through your lineage, I am going to bring a deliverer of is to Israel. And, and the writer of the gospel of Matthew wants you and I to understand and be sure that God always fulfills his promise. His promise to Abraham, his promise to David, and his promise to man. God meets, God always keeps his promises. What has God promised you? What has God promised you? Well, as we look at this, these prerequisites uh, have been met. And now there's something that's, that's interesting that I just want you to think with me about uh, for just a, a moment, if you will. As we read this genealogy here, the begats and the begottens here of, of Matthew, Luke chapter 3 has another genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it's, 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 it's very, it's different. And as we look at that, you say, what, what, what's the difference? Matthew, in recording, is recording, and he goes down to, in verse 16, he records down through Abraham and through David to Joseph, in verse 16 it says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Joseph wants, uh, Matthew wants us to understand that Joseph was the adopted father of Jesus. Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. It was not Joseph's seed did not unite with Mary's egg and, and the baby formed the way it does with, has with other kids. Didn't happen that way. And it's significant. Now, Luke, in Luke chapter 3, has a genealogy, but Luke's genealogy in chapter 3 is Mary's genealogy. So here you've got Matthew 1, you've got the, I think I got these words right, the paternal. Is that right? That means the daddy? All right, that, that means here's the adopted father. Here's Joseph's, uh, for the Jewish readers, here's Joseph's line of Abraham and David. Luke, on the other hand, is Mary's genealogy, and, it, and it's significant of, of, of why it's like that. It, but in Luke chapter 3, verse 31 and verse 34 intersect with Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. And verse 2 is of Abraham. And then in verse 6, and in verse 6 is David. And Luke and Matthew cross paths in both places because Mary was uh, descended from Abraham and was descended from David. But here it gets really interesting to me. Really, really interesting to me. Go with me to, uh, to Jeremiah chapter 22. 
Jeremiah chapter 22, it says, As I live, says the Lord, through, uh, though Konai, and, and Konai here is, is, a, is the same name of Jeconiah that's mentioned, uh, his birth is mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 16. Jeconiah, who was the son of Jehoiakim, okay? And Jeconiah was a descendant of Solomon, who was the son of David, okay? But watch this, watch this. Because I remember reading this and thinking, boy, God, you've got, you've got a mess here. How are you going to straighten that out? <laughs> watch this. As I live, says the Lord, though Kenai, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon your right hand, I'd pluck him out. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek your life, into the hand of them whose face you fear, even in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out and your mother that bare thee into another country where, they were, where you weren't born, and there you'll die. Now, we're not through here yet, but, but let me tell you what's happening. God had promised David that he was going to bring the Messiah from his, from, from, through his lineage and to Abraham, all right? He's, he's fulfilling that. Solomon was, was David's son by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And Solomon succeeds David in the, in the line on the throne there in, in Israel. And God has said, okay, you'll always have a descendant. But when Jeconiah is born of Jehoiakim, Jeconiah was a wicked, evil king. He was evil. And because he's evil, God said, I've had it with you. I've had it with you. Now, God is a good God, right? We say that every Sunday, and it's true. It's scripture. Pastor Bill's one introduced me to that, and he said, that. I thought, boy, that's a good saying. He said, it's biblical. Okay? And it is that God is a good God, okay? And God is a gracious God. He loves to come offering grace and goodness. But God is a just God, and God is a holy God. And we're reminded in the book of Proverbs, in the beginning of the book, that God is patient, He's long suffering. But the, but the first chapter of Proverbs reminds us that, but there comes a time when God in his goodness and God in his mercy and God in his grace, there comes a time sometimes when God draws a line in the sand and he says, this fur, fur, <laughs> this far and no further, this fur and no father. Okay. <laughs> he says, this is it. Now, unlike different administrations and earthly leaders that can draw lines in the sand and they mean nothing. When draw, God draws a line in the sand and God says, this is it. This is it. And there comes a time when, when, when he will say, that's it. He said this to Jeconiah. He said, this is it. This is a result of all your wickedness. I've tried to get your attention. But Jeconiah rejected the, the, the goodness of David, the wisdom of the godly ancestors. And instead, Jeconiah introduced into Israel all kinds of abominations, all kinds of wrong religious worship and God said that's it that's it all right let's pick, let's continue on he said that's it verse 27 he says but to the land whereunto they desire to return thither shall they not return if this man Konai a despised broken idol is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure wherefore art thou cast out he and his seed are cast into a land which they know not look at this O earth Earth, earth. You kind of get the tension. God's wanting us to listen up. Yeah? That's like, hey, listen, listen. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write you this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. 
For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. That's it. But there's a problem. I was reading this and I'm thinking, wow, because you've promised, <laughs> you know, you've promised through your servant David, the Messiah. And now Jeconiah, the king, you've, you've cut him off and you said, none of his, he'll have no more boy descendants that'll sit on the throne. Then comes Luke in chapter three. And Luke in chapter three shows us and identifies with us in ver- there in verse, what I tell you it was? Verse 31, 34, that Mary is through the lineage of Nathan, David's other son, not Solomon, but through Nathan. And so God, while, while God always answers his promise, while God always keeps his promises, we need to know that he doesn't always keep his promises the way we think he's going to keep them. Okay, he may not even do it in the way we want him to keep them. And it surely is not always in the time we think he'll do it. But God is a promise keeping God and he'll always keep his promises. Now I'm reminded that not only of of Abraham and not only to David, but we could go back to Genesis three. We could go back to when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God and when they had sinned, and when that sin had broken the relationship and the fellowship and separated them from God, that God promised them a deliverer. When he, when he made the, the, the clothes of skins to cover their nakedness, it was a foreshadowing of the blood that his son would shed, the sinless son of God. And a promise that, this, this, that his son one day would bruise the very head, would, would deal with Satan in a way that Adam and Eve and no other human being could ever do. Now, I remember years ago, talking with a, a young man. He was, a, I think, a doctoral student in, some, uh, in a program. And he said, I, I, listen, I just reject this whole thing of, of Adam's original sin. I said, you do? He said, that's right. He said, he said, that wasn't me. He said, don't try to pin on me Adam's sin. I said, okay, but you need to know this. If, if you can't understand that because of the disobedience of Adam, that because of that, that we all are born with a sinful nature and we all sinned, then you don't qualify for the Redeemer's redemption either. He looked and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, Romans tells us that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. Also by the second Adam, Jesus Christ, righteousness and forgiveness came into the world. You see, if we don't want to understand, if we can't acknowledge that we have sinned and come short of God's glory, then it, and we don't need a Savior to say, that, I don't need, I don't, I, I'm not buying into that stuff. Okay, then what you're saying to me is I can be good enough on my own. And if you try that, man has tried that from the beginning of time and they're still trying it today. It's what religions are about. But scripture tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans says there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all sinned. We've all come short. That's why God kept his promise in sending us a sinless Savior. And that's why it's so significant. Remember I mentioned the, the, uh, the, the virgin birth? That's why it's so significant. I was reading this week about some very, I don't, I don't mean to be ugly, but some, sometimes people are just educated beyond their ability to be smart. You know what I'm saying? They're educated beyond their intelligence. 
And I, and I was reading, you know, I had more degrees than a thermostat. And, 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 and they had just decided that they weren't going to believe and they surely couldn't teach in their, in their institutions of where they were professors. They could not teach in good conscience about a virgin birth because it just was not scientific. And if it wasn't scientific, it had to be wrong. Now, we have a phrase for that up here in the mountains, and the phrase is, bless your heart. <laughs> bless your heart. Because it is all together. Listen, without the virgin birth, without the virgin birth, birth, we have, we do not have a sinless Savior. We have a sinful Savior. And a sinful cannot be a Savior. Because if, he's, if, he, if he had sin, then he is dying for his own sins, and he can never die for my sins and for yours. Without the virgin birth, there is no redemption, because there is no redeemer. Without the virgin birth, then discredited of all God's truth, because God's word says that he was a sinless lamb of God. God's word says that he was born of a virgin. Listen, I can't explain it to you. You say, can you explain me how that happened? All I can tell you is God done it. God done it. Can you tell me how, how God, uh, Leroy, prayed a beautiful prayer when he prayed God's blessings and he prayed and he said, I want to say something, you know? And, and, and when Leroy talks to me, it's like E.F. Hutton. If he won't say something, I'm going to listen, okay? And he said, God's peace, if you don't have it, you need to talk to him because you can't have it. You know, that's what we have, that's what God's done through keeping the promise of the, of the sinless Savior. Christmas is about God keeping his promises to man. And he'll keep his promise to you and to me. Now, what are some of those promises? And we could, we could go, I know we could go a long time. I'm not going to do that. I'm kind of winding down uh, this morning with this. But what are his promises? What's some of the promises? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, I'm, I'm reminded, you know the story of after his, his life, after his, his crucifixion, after resurrection, after Easter Sunday morning when Jesus was risen from the grave. You remember, and he lived and he walked with, with and, and, he, and he interacted with people. He ate with bread and fish with the disciples. He was seen and showed himself the resurrected Lord. And then you remember there on the mountain outside uh, Jerusalem, he, 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 he ascended into heaven. And up in the clouds, and they all stand there with their mouths open, and these angels appear and say, hey, guys, don't stand here with your mouths open. They didn't say that, but uh, don't stand here gazing up in heaven. What did they say? This same Jesus, this same Jesus that you've seen going up is coming back again. Hallelujah. Yeah? He said, now let's get on with it. Let's get on with kingdom work. That's what, I mean, that's what basically what he's saying. Revelation 1-7 says this, behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him and all the kindreds of the earth said, well, because of him. Even so, amen. What's he saying? He's saying we have a promise that the same Jesus who came was born of a virgin, laid in a manger, was visited by the shepherds, by the wise men whom the world rejected and nailed to a cross, yet they couldn't keep him dead. He came back to life and he lives forevermore. This same Jesus had that promised and fulfilled the promise to all men that he would come through Abraham and David. This same Jesus, God's word promises us, is coming back again. And we're going to see him. Now that's good news. And of all the things that Christmas is about, one of the things that Christmas is about is God keeping his promises. Not only that one, 
There's so many. There's, there's another promise in, in John chapter 14. You, you know the story, John 14 and verse 3. I love this. John 13, Jesus is the last night he's with his disciples. And, and he's trying to tell him he's going to the cross. Uh, they don't understand everything, but they know Jesus is wanting to talk about dying. And they're just not into talking about death and dying. Okay. I mean, we, we, can talk about, we can talk about your kingdom, we can talk about your miracles, we can talk about everything, but why do we need to talk about death and dying if you're the Messiah? And so they're, they're a little bit troubled. And so the, the, the words of the 14th chapter of John start with, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. And then verse three, look at this. And if I go... Jesus speak and prepare a place for you. What does he say? I will come again and I'll receive you to myself that where I am, there you'll be also. This is a promise of God and you can bank on it because God is the original promise keeper and God always keeps his promises. And Christmas is about God keeping his promise to man. He did that and he will fulfill every one of them. And here he tells us, hey, for those of you that have prepared for that place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You say, well, how do we prepare for that place, Jerry? Well, Thomas didn't understand that. And he asked him, and just a, just a few minutes later, Jesus said to Thomas, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Keep your eyes on him, follow him. Let Jesus come into your heart. Let Jesus come into your heart. And we have this promise that where, where he is one day, we will be. It's a promise you can count on. God always keeps his promises. One more. One more. This is um, uh, Deuteronomy 31.6. Now, again, there's this word. There's a course that we used to sing in Bible school. Every promise in the book is mine. Remember that? Every chapter, every verse, every line. And I'm resting in the truth and the word divine because every promise in the book is mine. It's all every promise God makes. He'll keep. He'll keep. Deuteronomy 31.6 It's a big verse for me, okay? It's a big verse. And I I, I remember memorizing it, first of all, when I was a young boy, okay? Now, again, because of my sister Janie and because of my Aunt Susie, uh, I I kid people and I tell them I'm in ministry today because they scared the devil out of me when I was a young kid. (laughs) And they did. They're still confessing. I I heard heard them asking me, saying, well, we probably ought to feel sorry for what we've done to you. They said that recently. You know, they're more than 50. I started to say what, what category they were in there, but I get in trouble. Um, but I, so I grew, I grew up, I would have bad dreams. I was scared. They'd tell me, you know, if you, if it put me on the bed when I was six, five and six years old. Now, can you imagine putting Zane and Barbie on the bed and, or Zach and saying, if you don't go to sleep, the booger man gets you. <laughs> yeah, I still have trouble time, sometimes going to sleep. If I don't go to sleep, booger man's going to get me, huh? <laughs> But no, I'm just messing with you. But they did tell me that. That's true. They'll tell you. If you catch them at a rare moment when they're really honest, think the Lord's going to come and they'll be honest. Anyway, that's bad. I'm, I'm sorry. But I, I was fearful. I was scared. You've heard me tell this. And, and I watched a lot of Westerns. I love Westerns. And I had this inordinate fear. I, I thought, and, and where's Zoo? Zoo, forgive me. I always watch this. And I was always afraid that the Indians were going to kill me and scalp me. Now, I said that, and I know that Sarah has your hatchet up here this morning. She brought, have you got it? Okay, got it. I just didn't want to tell people that. That's okay. That's okay. And so, so I'd have these bad dreams, and I'd wake up and think, oh, my goodness, you know. And so I memorized Deuteronomy 31.6. 
to me, God brought that into my life in a time when I needed the truth of, this, of God's word there from this verse. And I memorized it then, and, and, and I've never forgotten it because the truth and the promises of God in this verse. Look at this. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not. Don't be afraid of people, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he it is that does go with thee. Now, here's the promise. Look at this. He will not fail thee nor forsake you. Now, I like that. God is never going to fail you. God is never going to leave you hanging. He's never going to walk out and leave you alone. It's promised in his word that he will be with us and that he will never, ever forsake us. That's a promise of God. And you can count on it. Now, one thing I love about the promises of God, one thing I love about Christmas is a reminder that of God's promise to man is this. Some of you may be like, kind of like I am. Uh, I, I mean well, okay? And I, and I really want, I want to be a person of my word. But there's times that I'll say things and, and, and maybe I'll forget them. I'm going to do this and I'll forget them now. <laughs> when you, if you're a grandparent, you understand the danger of that. Kids these days, I, I don't know, they put chips in them when they're born or something. They remember things. And so Barbie said to me, honey, be careful what you say to the grandkids. They'll remember it. And I said, yeah. No, they'll remember it when you forget it. So you be careful. If you tell them you're going to do something, you do it. Or keep your mouth shut and then just go do it when you get ready. But don't tell them you're going to do something and forget it. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes if you're, if you're like me, maybe, maybe you've said something to God. God, if you'll just do this. Maybe you find yourself, there was a time when you were in an impossible situation. And you said something, God, if you'll just do this, then I'll do this. Maybe there's a time when it was your close family member or someone else, and you said, God, if you'll just spare them or if you'll just let them get better, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. And, and maybe like me, you fully intended at that minute that you would. You wanted to. Your motives were good. And he fully intended to. But we look now and we think, oh my, oh my. You see, God, I am so thankful that God's promise to you and to me don't depend upon us keeping our promise to him. What's he promised you this morning? What's he promised you? Because what he's promised, what he's promised in his word, he will keep. He will keep. He that comes to me with a broken and contrite heart. He said, he would in no wise cast out. He says to us that God loved us. He gave his only son to die on the cross for us that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a promise. Yesterday, Joyce Stewart shared how that not only was it, is it eternal life, but he's promised life abundantly. Now, to me, that means life worth living, okay? That means life worth living. Like Jerry Clower, ain't it fun being a Christian? Listen, we can, we can weep with those who weep. We can laugh with those who laugh. But I don't, I'm not afraid of dying now. I'm not afraid of dying when I lay down at night and go to bed because I know that God's going to be there. And I know that for the believer, dying ain't the end. It's just stepping through the door into the glory. What's God promised you? What's he promised you? This Christmas, remember that Christmas, among all other things, 
And Lord willing, I may talk next week about Christmas being the promise of God's presence with men. But this week, Christmas is about God's promise to men. He always keeps them, and he always will. Let's pray. Father, as we, as, as we sing the songs, put the decorations up, get excited and buy gifts and help and look for opportunities and ways to minister. We're reminded that Christmas is about so many things. It's about giving. It's about not getting, but giving as we mature. But Lord, it's also about you keeping your promise to man, to Abraham, to David. And Lord, even when from man's looking on, it may have been entanglement and okay, he's, Jeconiah has blown it and you're never going to let a descendant. How are you going to do that? You always have a plan. And you never have to call for a time out to readjust because you, you have a plan and you're working it. Help us to realize that and to relax in knowing that we can trust your promise. Not only your promise of a Messiah and of a Savior, but your promises to never leave us, to never forsake us, your promises that we could be with you. Now, Father, we live in a world that's uh, pretty messed up. Lord, we look around us and sometimes the world, if we looked at the world and conditions of the world, it could, we could see how people would be fearful and wouldn't know which way to turn. But we look to you and we see a God who, is, who in his wisdom knew and wanted each one of us to be alive today, right now, to be a part of your kingdom and what you're doing and proclaiming into this world that's in chaos. And Lord, we have the news that you are a promise-keeping God and you want us to be like the shepherds, going and telling that to everyone we see on the way. Hey, God is a promise-keeping God and that's one of the things that Christmas is about. Let us do that this week. And now with our heads still bowed and our eyes closed before this mess, I'm really aware that there may be some here this morning that, uh, that never have, have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've just uh, tried to somehow or another add on what you know about Christianity with what you think and think you know about other things. And somewhere in there, it's, it's a big jumble. Let me, let me just share with you. Somebody said that Trust in Jesus as your Savior is as simple as ABCs, and that even a, even even a young child can understand that. Is that A is being able to acknowledge that all have sinned and come short of your glory; that we can never be good enough, so we're in need of a Savior. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted the Lord, can, can you acknowledge that? Can you just say, "Sure, Jerry, that's that's no big problem. I I, I know that." That's the first step. B is believe that Jesus Christ was God's only son and that he lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to live forevermore. Can you believe that? I didn't ask you if you understand it all. I just know it's true. Historically, it's true. Biblically, it's true. Personally, this life-changing truth. Can you, can you just believe that? Step two.
final step is, is really the easiest one of all. See. Confess your sins and acknowledge that you're in need of a Savior. And confess Him as Lord. Ask Him to come into your life and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Right where you sit this morning, if you've never trusted Him, it's really as simple as ABC. Even a child can understand. If that's you, why don't you pray? God, right where you sit, in your heart, in your mind, God, come into my life. I know I'm in need of a sinner. I can acknowledge that. I have a Savior. I know that. And I do believe that Jesus, you are that Savior. It's about Christmas. That's about God loving us. It's about God keeping His promise. And now, I don't understand it, but by faith I'm confessing that you're coming into my life because I've asked you to. Would you come in? In your name I pray. Amen.